This is Undisciplined. I'm Shoshana Buxbaum. Animals are shape-shifting. That's the latest in a vast body of research exploring how animals are adapting to climate change. Researchers compiled evidence from dozens of studies, and they found that birds' beaks were getting bigger, shrews' tails longer, and bats' ears larger. These changes help animals better regulate their body temperatures as the planet heats up. Sarah Riding is the lead author of this recently published study in the journal Trends in Ecology and Evolution. She's a PhD candidate at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. Sarah Riding, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so to start off, your research focuses heavily on something called Allen's Rule, which essentially means that animals in warmer climates have larger appendages, especially birds having larger beaks, for example. And this, in turn, helps them better regulate their temperature, if I'm understanding it right. So can you explain for me a little bit about how that phenomenon works? Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, Alan's rule, based on the idea that if you live in a warmer climate, in a warmer environment, and this is at lower latitudes, so closer to the tropics, then you're going to have larger appendages. And the way this works is that animals that are warm-blooded or endothermic, they have to control their internal body temperature. And to do that, they need to be able to let go of extra body heat when they get too warm. And animals can do that passively through their appendages. So birds can redirect blood flow to their beaks and then let go of that extra body heat through the beak surface area. So how does that relate to then taking that and using it as a rule to apply to how animals are adapting as a result of overall warming temperatures, not just in you know, warmer parts of the world. Yeah, so we know then from this previous research that if you're in a warmer environment, you will have, your appendage will have a larger surface area because that means that you can let go of more body heat. And so then it's been proposed by other researchers previously that because that trend exists on a, a spatial or geographic scale, maybe animals will respond to climate change by increasing the size of their appendages. So we might see a similar trend, but through time rather than through mm. space. So that's why we decided to look into this. What did you find? What, I mean, a, a lot of this research is looking into um, birds. So what kind of species of birds did you find this phenomenon that they had bigger beaks? And what other kind of animals did this, um, did you find this with? So we found examples of increases in appendage size in Australian parrots, but also in uh, shrews up in Alaska and bats in China, you know, sort of spread all over the world and in different groups of animals. A lot of the focus that we've looked at has been on birds. And this is both because their beak has a very well-documented role in being used to regulate body heat, but also because a lot of the times when you're studying this, you will use museum collections. So museum collections will house specimen that were collected in the early 1900s. And then they'll have samples that span throughout the 1900s up until the 2000s. 
So by measuring those, you can see if there are changes in beak size through time. And a lot of the time, museum collections just have excellent coverage of birds compared to other animals. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how you, um, as you just mentioned, you use museum collections as well, which is so fascinating that you're able to like, you know, use these, um, you know, preserved animals and then compare them to animals that are walking around now. Can you tell me a little bit about the process? I mean, I know this is sort of review article, you looked at various different studies. Um, Were you also looking at specimens from museums? How did you piece together all the different research to come up with this, uh, with this study? Yeah, so I completely agree. I mean, museums are fantastic. And it's so awesome, you know, that you can walk into a museum and find, you know, a bird from the early 1900s. And it's like a snapshot in time. The information that you can collect from that bird can represent so much about what life was like at that time. But for this research, like you said, we looked at other previously published studies, and a lot of these made use of museum collections. So, for example, the Australian parrots that I mentioned, and the shrews in Alaska, and the bats in China, all of those were based on museum collections. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking about like going to the Museum of Natural History in New York City, which I remember going to as I was a ki- when I was a kid. And there's like this, if listeners that have been there, or if you've been there, there's this, I mean, there's many rooms, but there's this room I'm thinking of, of all these um, like dioramas, and they have like the habitat and like all of these animals that I'm sure are like over 100 years old. And they have this like beautiful painted backdrop. Um, And I'm just thinking of like, you know, as a person coming in, it's beautiful, but there's also this other usefulness in sort of understanding our current world and how it works, which I didn't even think about until I was reading this research. Yeah. So my, our plug is, you know, go visit your local museum safely and socially distanced. But um, (laughs) anyway, so it was so fascinating to look at the different types of animals that you were able to, um, you know, pull together in this study. Do you know, or do we know why some species of birds and other animals are just more likely to shapeshift, to have their appendages grow bigger than other types? That's a great question. And it's, something that we really want to look into more in the future because currently we have we have theories currently but we want to be able to look at these more carefully so one of the things we think might be important is how much the animal uses their appendage to regulate their body temperature so we were talking about allen's rule at the start and that pattern is quite relatively widespread at least across birds But that doesn't mean that all animals adhere to Allen's rule. And so we think that one of the important factors for whether an animal is going to shapeshift through time, so increases appendage size through time, is whether it actually adheres to Allen's rule and, by extension, uses its appendage to regulate body temperature. So it's animals that are already using that extra beak to cool off. That's what we think. Another thing that might be influencing whether animals shapeshift or which ones do it, or maybe even how much they do it, is what other functions the appendage is involved in. So for example, a bird might only be able to increase its beak so much before it's no longer able to use its preferred food source. And so speaking of that, I was super interested because like part of the paper, it talks about 
Galapagos finches, which obviously are like very famous from um, Charles Darwin's like, you know, obviously seminal text about evolution. And those finches are also undergoing shape shifting as a result of climate change as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Are those birds just like very adept at changing to their environment, like more so than other types of birds? It's interesting with Galapagos finches because there's so many really awesome studies showing how they'll respond to seed size and how that affects their beak size. And that's that relationship that's really well documented Mm. and really awesome. Right. And they also live on an island. So it's kind of more of a, I don't want to say a closed system, but it's more of a, they kind of have a limited amount of stuff they can do, uh, really. And they might respond to environmental pressures faster than birds on the mainland would do it. And in terms of our study, we looked at a previously collected data set. And that previously collected data set spanned 12 years. So it's a relatively short period of time. But they found that the survival of birds with different beak sizes was influenced by the amount of rainfall. And we looked at that and thought, yeah, that tracks, that seems totally reasonable, but what would happen if you threw in temperature into the mix there? And so we reanalyzed that data set in a more simplistic way and included temperature as as an important variable to consider. And we found that actually Galapagos finches with smaller beaks, they don't survive as well during years when it's really warm. So they actually have reduced survival if the temperatures get too high presumably because they have smaller beaks and aren't able to let go of that body temperature, that extra body temperature, as well as their counterparts with larger beaks. Wow. Yeah. So they're extremely adaptable. What made you decide to reanalyze that data in that in looking at temperature instead of just rainfall? When we were looking at the literature published on different types of morphological changes, so different changes to the shape and size of body parts, a lot of the studies didn't link this directly to climate change, which we thought was a shame because we thought that there was still something going on there that could be related to climate change. So we decided to look at a study that had really good data, a really well-collected data set, a really good analysis, and was a really well-written paper. And that helped us to say, okay, now we have a data set collected by someone else. This data set is really good. The paper they wrote was excellent. The analysis they did was really thorough. And that's going to help us then delve in and say, okay, but what happens if you throw this into the mix? So we really just wanted to explore case studies where temperature hadn't been considered in the original analysis, but the original analysis had still been very thorough. And we just wanted to throw in this little extra thing and see what does that do to the results. Yeah. And and I think also when we think a lot about how climate change is affecting animals, we talk, we think a lot about, and there's a lot of research about habitat change of like sea level rise or like ice caps melting or, um, you know, food sources dying off for various animals. But I think that there's not as much, at least in my, you know, like paying attention to research and news and stuff, there's not as much focus on like, okay, actual temperature increases. So how were you able to sort of tease out in your research, okay, are there changes just based on the environment of these um, animals that you were looking at? Or 
was it the temperature itself? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question and a really important point, right? Because climate change is so multifaceted. It doesn't just affect temperatures increasing. It affects everything else as well in the environment. And we're also compounding the effect of climate change by destroying habitat and otherwise making things difficult for animals. So there's several factors to consider here, and it's hard to pin down one, you know, one thing that's causing these changes because they're spanning a longer time period. And so it's hard to say for sure this is the one thing that's causing it. But the reason we think that temperature increases are responsible for a lot of the increases in appendage size that we see is because, for one, we have that theoretical basis that Allen's rule exists, animals use appendages to regulate body temperature. We have that theoretical basis for why we would expect to see this. We also have then these changes happening in different types of animals in different places of the world who all have different food sources. And the one thing that they really have in common is that they're experiencing climate change and temperature increases. And then we also have that case study that we just mentioned about our reanalysis of the Galapagos finch data, where we've shown that birds with smaller bills seem like they have reduced survival when it gets really warm. So we can say from that that it looks like there might be a selective pressure that would link temperature to what type of morphology survives. And so combining that, we think that it's because of climate change and the temperature increases. Yeah. So was there anything that surprised you when you did this research? Yeah, I think it's going to sound like a bit of a corny answer, but I think that the surprising thing was that it was happening in such different animals, you know, like Australian parrots and shrews in Alaska. Those were some of the examples we found. Completely different places of the world, completely different types of animals with completely separated lineages. And it was just kind of crazy to see that it was affecting both of them. Yeah. I mean, I think it really speaks to that climate change is not just a problem for like people that live on the coasts. I mean, if we're talking about people or like animals that live in coastal areas, it's like the whole world. Yeah. The problem is expansive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great point. And now we're also seeing that these changes are affecting animals in other parts of the world, that climate change isn't going to, quote unquote, just be scary because of sea rise increases or because of um, snow melting earlier in the year. But we we can see that it's also scary because it's affecting how well animals deal with the temperature in their environment. Yeah. So is this shape-shifting actually like working for these animals? Are they better suited to survive in a warmer world because they've their appendages are bigger? Like, is it working ostensibly? Like, are they adapting enough? Well, that's a great question. And it's a really hard one to answer. It's one that we want to look into in the future, but it's kind of hard to answer currently. Mm-hmm. You know, what this, what this research tells us is that animals are so far responding to climate change by doing this, but we don't know if they're going to be able to continue doing this as the climate crisis continues to get worse. We don't know how much they'll be able to change before it interferes with other aspects of their ecology, like we discussed earlier. 
And we don't really know how much these increases in appendage size are actually helping their survival on a broad like species level scale. So there's a lot of things that we don't know and it makes it hard to to say exactly what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, so we shouldn't be like, okay, rest assured, like the birds are adapting, like their bills are going to cool them off, like it's fine. <laughs> like we should not uh, yeah. take this as complacency at all. No, that's exactly right. The takeaway here shouldn't be, oh, everything's going to be fine. It looks like they're, you know, doing their best. <laughs> right, um, right. Because really, it's just, it's just scary that we're this early on in the climate crisis. Climate change has never happened this quickly. You know, this is a, the rate at which the climate is changing right now is insane. And it's scary that animals are trying their best to respond and that they're responding already. But we just, if the climate crisis is only going to get worse, and especially if we don't do anything to stop the climate crisis, then it's like, what's going to happen to them in the future? It's just, it's very scary to think about. But I definitely don't think that this should be a happy days. We can all go back to fracking, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes. I just wanted to make that very clear. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so is there a difference in animals that are living in like, I know we had talked about like, you know, this is affecting animals all over the world, what you found from your research. But are animals that are living in, for example, like really cold parts of the world or like really tropical or warm regions, are they are they shape-shifting like differently? Are, is there a different process based on the, you know, base level temperature there? So that's a great question here. And it's a multifaceted answer. So the first thing I would say is that we think that there's a different type of pressure on animals depending on what their current ambient temperature is. So if you are, for example, imagine that you are an Arctic hare, you know, you're living up in the Arctic, you have small ears, and you're just trying to conserve your body heat. And the need to conserve your body heat is what's keeping your appendages small, because you don't want to accidentally let go of body heat to the really cold environment, because you're just trying to keep warm. So with climate change, we might be seeing increase in appendage size in the Arctic hare because there's less of a pressure for them to to conserve body heat. You know, the pressure then has has loosened and they don't really need to keep their appendages as small as previously. And this is different than from animals in warmer ambient environments who might be increasing their appendage size because they need more surface area to let go of extra body heat from. So it's like a reversal. It's like if it's cold, if it's warmer in a cold place, then they're like, okay, it's like more advantageous to have the big ears versus in a warm place where they're like, oh, we need this more surface area because it's like really, really hot now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so it's, yeah, you put it really well there when it's, when it's warm in a normally cold environment, then it's kind of like, oh, oh, maybe I can explore a bit more. I can have slightly larger ears without right. dying and losing all my body heat. Got it. Whereas if you're in a warm environment and it's just getting warmer, then the pressure might be, oh my gosh, it's really warm now. I desperately need larger appendages. We also have um, some excellent studies that are done on sparrows in the US. Um, and these studies have shown that 
when birds live in environments where the temperatures are so high that they regularly exceed the bird's body temperature. Oh my gosh. Then, yeah, right? Really warm environments, what we're talking about here. But when the, when the ambient temperature is warmer than the bird's internal body temperature, then it can't let go of excess body heat from its beak because the environment is warmer than its beak. Right. And so what instead might happen is that, unfortunately, the beak becomes this sort of sink and the beak starts absorbing more heat from the environment. And so in these environments, in these very extreme where it gets really warm environments, it might actually be a bad thing to evolve a larger beak Mm. because then you might just be absorbing even more heat from a already hot environment into your already hot body. Yeah. Like we're just like, if we're humans and it's like a hundred and 115 degrees, like if we're outside for long enough, it's going to boil us like no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Right. And birds don't have air conditioning like we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't really have the the option of, you know, sitting in front of a fan for 45 minutes to cool down. Right, right. They're just out there. Yeah, exactly. Um although I guess although I guess bats though are kind of interesting cuz they do sort of escape into the cool, right? Cuz like they do go into caves, they're mostly out at night, so they're not facing some of the same pressures that other animals that you looked at are facing, right? Yeah, exactly. Great pickup. And that's something that we really want to look into more, you know, how these other aspects of an animal's life are affecting whether it changes body shape or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of species of bat might be able to avoid the higher temperatures and the pressures from that because they will live in caves where temperatures are kind of more steady, more uniform than out in, out in the wild. In a similar way with birds that live near water, for example, mm-hmm. they might be responding to higher temperatures by basically taking a bath more often, you know, going into the water to cool down a little bit. And there's all these different types of sort of behavioral or behavioral changes that an animal can make that can help it avoid excess heat. And there's also these different types of tiny, smaller versions of the habitat where they can avoid heat. So going into the water, going into a cave, that can help you avoid the warmer temperatures that you might face in direct sunlight out in the open. Yeah. So there's a lot that we don't know. This is sort of like the very beginning of understanding these processes. What is next for you? What kind of questions are you hoping to answer in your next um, bit of research? So the rest of my PhD is going to focus on how Australian birds may or may not be shape-shifting. And I want to see basically which ones are shape-shifting, if this relates to, you know, how much temperature increase they've experienced, what their other ecological factors are. So, you know, if it depends on what type of diet they eat and other things that might be influencing this. And I'm also interested in seeing if how much an animal or how much a bird uses its beak for regulating body temperature, how important that is in predicting which ones will shapeshift. So things like that is what I'm interested in pursuing next. I guess to for our final like closing thought, how does this research fit into a, a, 
a broader understanding of how climate change is affecting animals and our world. Yeah, so, so far, when we've looked at how animals are responding to climate change, a lot of the research has looked at changes to the timing of events, so migrating earlier in the year. And this kind of proposes a new way that animals might be responding to climate change. And I think it's important to collate all of these different types of responses that an animal can have to figure out which ones might be responding, which ones aren't, and how this is affecting how vulnerable they'll be in the future. Yeah, and how we can not only protect animals, but make sure that we really look holistically at animals when we're coming up with climate solutions, not just focus on humans, although we are important, (laughs) not the most important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. Um, I've just been talking to Sarah Riding. She's a PhD candidate at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. Her latest study was recently published in the journal Trends in, in Ecology and Evolution. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today and for this really fun and thoughtful conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio with support from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcast. Our producer is Claire Scott, and our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Shoshana Buxbaum. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas. Thank you.